It's so important to hear truth the way it is intended to be heard and not turned on its head. And when we hear truth when it's turned on its head, it's hopeless. But when we hear God's truth as he wants it to be communicated, then there's hope. We're going to talk this morning about truth. Uh, My name is Randy. I'm the preaching minister here at Windsor Road Christian Church. If this is your first Sunday here, uh, we are in a series of messages uh, over the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And today, we're going to be uh, listening to a message which Jesus gave to a local church that has to do with truth. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. The book of Revelation begins with an amazing vision of Jesus Christ who stands among seven churches, Revelation 1 tells us, and, um, and he's in control, he's present, he knows what's going on, and Revelation chapter 2, uh, chapters 2 and 3 are messages to these seven churches. Uh, The number seven uh, is a symbolic number in the book of Revelation, meaning that what's true of these real churches that existed in the first and second centuries, uh, are all the messages to these churches are also relevant, and uh, they are to be paid attention to and listened to by Windsor Road Christian Church as well. And so today we're going to look at Letter to the Church in Pergamum. So follow along with me on page 868 of your church Bibles, uh, Revelation 2, verses 12 to 17. It's up on the screen as well. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him, that's Jesus now, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, by eating food sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Revelation 2, 12 to 17, the word of God. Father God, thank you that you allow me to come to you in the name of the one who holds the two-edged sword, who holds power, who holds authority. The one who died on the cross, the one who rose from the tomb, 
the name of your son, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for truth. As you fed this church nearly 2,000 years ago with the truth of your word, Lord Jesus, feed us because we are hungry and we want to be filled with the manna of your truth. Again, as I pray, help me get out of the way so that what you once said gets said. To the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. In ancient China, to keep the barbarian hordes out of the north, they built this great wall, the Great Wall of China. 18 to 20 feet high, excuse me, 18 to 20 feet thick, 30 feet high, 1,500 miles long. They built it to be an impenetrable barrier. Um, It was to be so high that the enemy would not successfully be able to scale it. It was to be so thick that the enemy could not successfully punch through it. It was to be so long that the enemy could not successfully be able to go around it, the great wall of China, built to be an impenetrable, impenetrable barrier to keep the enemy out. And yet, in the first hundred years of existence, China was invaded three times. You know why? It wasn't the wall's fault. They bribed the gatekeeper who opened the door and let the enemy right on through. (laughs) Oh, that. (laughs) Did you guys know that ahead of time? Are you humoring me? (laughs) Oh, that. (laughs) Well, that is a perfect illustration of the church at Pergamum. A A church that you know, had successfully built this barrier outside to keep the enemy. I mean, but there was some gatekeeper issues that needed to be taken care of. And as we think about this church this morning in Revelation chapter 2, and Jesus' message to them, which is also his message to us, I want you to think about maybe your spiritual life and your, the, and your realm of influence. I want you to think about your life, your marriage, your family. Maybe even the, the company you lead or the company you're a part of. Or maybe you're a, a part of a school or an organization. And yes, it has to do with this church as well. Think about the pressures or the threats that are facing you right now. And the things that threaten the very existence of your organization, are those threats the things that are on the outside? I mean, really, when you think about it, are the the things that could possibly threaten the life of your church or your fellowship or your school or your family, are those things really existing on the outside or is it on the inside? Is there some internal issue, some some? Fractured that maybe you can't even know would be worth looking at. 
but if left unchecked, would cause everything to implode. That's what we're going to see here in this church at Pergamum. And what I want us to do is we're looking through these verses here in Revelation chapter 2. I want, us to, uh, I, I want us to first listen to the commendation that Jesus has to say about this church. And then we're, he's, they're doing some good things and we need to hear what those things are because there could be a commendation for us. And, but then Jesus says, you know, you've got some issues here. And there's a, there's a criticism that Christ has. And they needed to hear it and we need to hear it as well. And and then, and then thirdly, there's a command that Jesus gives. You see it there in verse 16. But that's kind of where we're tracking, all right? The three C's, the commendation and the criticism and the command to this church in Pergamum. The commendation, you see that in verse 13. Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne Yet you remain true to my name. I know where you live. I know. That's unique. Because in the other letters, Jesus says typically, I know your deeds. I know your works. Last week in Smyrna, he said, I know your afflictions. But to all the other churches, he says, I know your deeds. Not here. He says, I know where you live. I know. Well, great. What's significant about that? Let's see. This is the map of uh, Turkey. And you can see the little postal route that occurred there, starting at Ephesus, 35 miles north there is Smyrna. We looked at that church uh, last week. And then about 70 miles even further north and a little bit inland to the east is the city of Pergamum. By the way, these three cities were kind of rival, sibling rivals in the Roman Empire, each vying for Rome's attention. And Rome liked it that way because that way it kept each of them loyal to the empire. It's kind of, you know how it is in relationships, huh? Worldly relationships. He who loves the least has the most power. And that's exactly, I don't want you to apply that in your marriages or any other relationships, by the way. Wisdom from the pastor, right? No, not that wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. But it worked for Rome. And, and these three c- cities near the coast were, were rival cities. And, and so when the traveler came to the city of Pergamum, it was absolutely a spectacular sight. Take a look at this next slide. You'll see what the, what the traveler was approaching. There was two parts, two parts. There were two parts to Pergamum. There was lower Pergamum, but then there was this Acropolis. There was this hill, uh, upper Pergamum, the Acropolis of Pergamum. That's 1,000 feet high. And it was just fantastic. There was a road that kind of spirals around to get it all the way to the top of the Acropolis. When you got up there, you saw this. Uh, Next slide. That's a theater. That seated 10,000. Can you imagine the view? What a spectacular view of the plain and uh, when there would have been dramas or orators come to speak. And 10,000 packed into uh, that place. It was absolutely fantastic. Next slide. Uh, That's another view. Can you imagine snowboarding down that thing? That would be awesome, man. I want to go to Pergamon to do that. That's all I wanted you to see on that slide is the potential for snowboarding. Let's go to the next one, okay? You got to have fun with this stuff, huh? This is the gymnasium where people would have worked out, where there would have been athletics. Uh, So it was wealthy enough area to have uh, that. Um, And then let's see the next slide. Uh, that was the library that used to be the library. That was the site where the library was. The uh, second largest 
library in the Roman world uh, t- uh, was there. Uh, 200,000 volumes uh, in the library at Pergamum. The Champagne Public Library has 286-ish thousand volumes. You say, how do you know that? I just do. 200,000 versus 286,000. And you say, what's the difference? It's, the difference is not 86,000. It's not. The difference is 200,000 hand-copied volumes. That's the difference, which made it a very significant place. Let's look at the next slide, and you'll see uh, that would, would have been a facade, uh, the front of that library. And you'd go into the library, and you'd see a statue of the goddess um, Athena. And uh, Wayne, let's see the next slide. Uh, that would have been a path called the Sacred Way that the traveler would have taken on your way to the temple of um, Asclepius. Hang on. Yeah, there it is. I was right. Asclepius. No, I wasn't right. Asclepius. I got it right the first service. Asclepius. There it is. Asclepius. On three, everybody say that. One, two, three. Asclepius. See, it's, it's, not, it's not that easy, is it? Huh? You think it's so easy. You come up here and do it. Asclepius. Who is Asclepius? Just call him Al, would you? The Greek god Al. That's no. Asclepius was the snake god of the temple of medicine. The temple of medicine. So there was a, 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 a medical temple there. And when we're talking medic, when we're talking temple, you got to think just broader than religious ritual, you, meaning there was like a medical center there. There would have been a medical clinic there. Uh, they had a remarkable success rate for healing, uh, uh, and namely because um, uh, they interviewed all of their clients before they accepted them, and. Uh, they took anybody except for two groups. They would not take mothers who were just getting ready to give birth, number one. And then number two, if you were getting ready to die, they didn't take you. So that's why they had such a remarkable success rate. Okay? <laughs> Go figure. But um, uh, the physician Galen, who was a leading Roman physician, uh, lived in the second century, that's where he practiced medicine and he uh, discovered the circulatory system in the human body and some of his paradigms uh, lasted almost a thousand years. I mean, so this is a pretty significant place, uh, the temple of Asclepius there. Let's see the next slide. Uh, that would have been the temple of Dionysus. You notice it's right by the theater because one of the things that they would prescribe there for healing would have been, we'll go to the theater, be good for your soul, be good for your emotions, et cetera. And, and this would have, uh, uh, they would have prescribed the theater here. Once you hear the temple of Dionysus, Dionysus was, off, uh, was thought to have been an offspring of the Greek god Zeus and a mortal. And uh, Dionysus, uh, this, Dionysus was, was kind of the frat party uh, god. And there were three components to the worship of Dionysus. Uh, raw meat, uh, uh, plenty of alcohol, and naked women. That was called worship in the temple of Dionysus. I'm not kidding. It was so immoral that the, uh, it, that 
worship in the temple of Dionysus was outlawed in the city of Rome itself. <laughs> so it's just a little, little too much for uh, the mothership there. And uh, that's Dionysus. And then there's uh, the Greek god Zeus. And the, there's the temple of Zeus who is the, 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 the king of the gods, the savior god. In addition to all these uh, Greek gods then, they incorporated... Um, Roman emperor worship, and that's what this next slide is about. Uh, that is a temple to the Roman emperor Trajan. In the city of Pergamum, emperor worship to, the live, to a living wor- emperor was instituted in Pergamum. So you, in other words, they didn't wait till the emperor was dead in Pergamum. They went on ahead and started worshiping the emperor while the emperor was alive. And that began with Augustus. Augustus, and, and so every Roman citizen was expected to show up and uh, sprinkle incense before the emperor in an act of worship. Uh, here's another slide after this that uh, is a coin that was minted uh, to the emperor Augustus for the temple that had existed uh, in Pergamum at that time. And, uh, and then I want you to see this next slide. This is amazing. You go to Pergamum, you're going to see a museum, and then there, that is a recreation of what all of those archaeological ruins would have looked like in, in, when they were new. See? So take a look at, the, take a look at the, the theater there. It's beautiful. And you remember that mall, that sacred way? Take a look at that covered uh, little uh, kind of a portico tunnel there. And then to the right there is the Temple of Zeus. And uh, then there's other... Uh, there's other temples uh, and, and other, uh, uh, the library is there. It was, a, it was all up on top of the hill. A fantastic, fantastic place. Um, that's why Jesus said, that, that's, that's what Jesus' words, I know where you live, is all about. I know where you live. I know what's going on. I know uh, about all the, the uh, emperor worship that's happening. And the emperor, the emperor is the one who thinks that he holds the two-edged sword. See, to hold the two-edged sword, the eus gladii, meant that you had the power of life and death. And Jesus says, well, Domitian thinks that he holds the power of life and death, but Jesus says, no, I'm the one who holds that sword, and I know where you live. I know where you live. That word live there is a word that means permanent residence, and they live. Pergamum is just not their winter home. It's where they actually live, where Satan has his throne, and you remain true to my name. Now listen to me, church. The reason why I'm showing you all of these pictures of history is to get you to realize that Christianity did not emerge in a society where there was no religious expression of faith whatsoever. In fact, as you've seen from these pictures, Roman religion was very sensual, very audio, uh, very visual, Uh, All of the senses were engaged, and Roman religion just permeated all of society, whether work or home or highway or athletic gatherings, whatever it was, uh, 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 the gods were engaged. And uh, it was fantastic, whether the arts or theater, 
And so you have all of this engagement with, with this incredible, incredible, beautiful and, and sophisticated and wealth and architecture of, of the Roman pantheon of gods and, and the Greeks. And then you have Christianity. <laughs> well, where did they get together? They got together in John's house. That's where they did, right? And, and, and if, if, if John's house was just like in any ordinary house in Pergamum, there would be about 12 of us. That's where it would be. And if John was a rich Roman... He'd have a ringing cell phone going off at the time. Uh, and, uh, and there may be 50 people who'd be able to meet in his villa. Okay? So you see? So what you got, you know, I mean, Christianity didn't survive because it was high tech. And Christianity didn't survive because it was able to compete with all that was going on. In Pergamum, and the culture. Why did Christianity survive? The only thing the Christians had was truth. Truth. And Jesus says, you got the truth. I know where you live. And, you're, and you didn't renounce the truth. You didn't renounce your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas. Who's that? He's a leader who was the first martyr in Asia. Remember, Polycarp died about 155 A.D., this guy died before Domitian was put to death. Domitian had, which would have been before 95 AD, Antipas, the very first martyr who surrendered his life for Jesus, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, right there, where Satan lives, that word lives again, permanent residence. Your hometown, Satan's hometown, you bet there's going to be conflict. And church tradition tells us that Antipas was put to death. He was, he was slow roasted to death in a copper kettle that shaped like a bull. Wow. But you're staying true. How do you, stay, how, how do you survive that? Huh? Well, these verses don't explicitly tell us, but, but, but they do implicitly tell us, and I'll just focus on one word in verse 13, one word repeated a couple of times. It's the word you. Y-O-U. Because every time the word Y-O-U is used, it's in the plural. You can't make it in a town like that for Jesus by yourself. You're just not going to make it. You're not. You all, by God's grace, can and will. And that's what Jesus is saying. And I'm not telling you anything that you all really probably don't already know. Because some of you work in a place that's a pressure cooker. And tomorrow morning, you're going to go to a place and you're going to feel slow roasted. And some of you could say to me, yeah, where I work, that's where Satan lives, all right. It's Satan's throne. <laughs> yeah, you're talking to me. That's my, I go out of my front yard, and there's Satan's throne. And how do you make it? You make it because you stay together. You make it because you have, you've, got a, you've got a band of brothers and sisters supporting you. See, folks, we're not doing small groups because it's a nifty program. Okay? We do it because... Because you, 
Because Christians stay true by staying connected. It takes community to stay true. That's what the message to them was. And that's, so are you connected? That's my question. If you're, if you're, if you're feeling by yourself, why? Why is that? You need the connections of brothers and sisters that you can hold accountable, that'll hold you accountable. You can encourage and sharpen one another. And, and Jesus says, y'all are doing that to this church. And he says, Pergamon, you're doing that. So keep doing that, okay? And he would say that to us as well. You're doing it. And don't, you know, don't be focused on, what you know, this other church or this, these other people in this part of the country, they seem to be succeeding and doing well and having success, but we're not, and why, and what did I do, and what's all that about? And Jesus is saying, listen, don't focus on them. You're in spiritually hostile territory. It's going to be hard. When you live where Satan lives, it's going to be hard. That's the deal. When you live in the presence of Satan's throne, it's just going to be difficult, okay? So stay true by staying connected. Does that make sense? Are you? Huh? Does that make sense? When I, when I say, you get it? When I say get it, you say got it, I'll say good. Get it? Good. Good. Stay true by staying connected. That's the commendation. And then Jesus says, let's talk about your gatekeepers now. We got a gatekeeper issue. Verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You all, there's that plural again. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. All right, a lot of information there. Who's Balaam? Who's Balak? What about the Nicolaitans? Let's try to answer that. All right, Balaam. You got to know your Old Testament if you're going to appreciate Revelation. Because Balaam was an Old Testament prophet. He goes back to the book of Old Testament, book of Numbers, chapter 22 and 23 and 24. Balaam was the poster child of shady prophets. Balaam was not the kind of prophet who could be bought outright, but he could be rented for an afternoon. And that's exactly what happened. Balak, who was a king, adjacent to Israel at that time. He wanted to find a way to weaken the nation. So he thought if he just bribed one of the prophets, and Balaam seemed his choice candidate, that Balaam could come and call a curse down on Israel for money, and then Israel would be weakened. And you know, Balaam is the one with the talking donkey. That's another sermon. But every time Balaam went to try to curse Israel, he couldn't because God would not give Balaam a curse to then give concerning Israel. He only gave him a blessing. And this infuriated Balak. It happened three times. Balak's going, what's up, man? I'm giving you money, and yet you're, you're blessing him, not cursing him. What's up with that? And finally, after the third time, Balaam says, look, you, you, you're thinking that you're going about this all wrong, dude. Wrong, wrong. You do not need me to go to God to Seek a curse. To, you don't need to do that. You don't, even, you don't even need to involve God at all if you want to weaken Israel. Well, he said, what do I need to do? I said, you just need, you need two things. You need alcohol in large quantities, 
and you need naked women. That's what you need. And if you will do that, you say, no. It's in the Bible. Look, Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to do the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. In fact, it was so bad, it was so raucous that if you just kind of keep reading in Numbers 25 verse 6, it got so bad that here God's people are weeping and grieving over this, this blatant sin And God's people and Moses, they've gathered in front of the tabernacle itself. And while they are weeping and grieving and praying to God with repentance, verse 6 says, An Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. I mean, church is going on. And this guy brings her. And, uh, and it was so vile. It was so evil. Verse 7 says that, uh, that a priest finally took a spear and he ran them both through the same spear through the man and the woman. And in the And the deal was, they were in the act of immorality itself. It was so vile. And all of this was at the advice of Balaam. Why Hollywood doesn't make more movies out of the Bible, I have no idea. No idea. That's who Balaam is. And Jesus says, guys, you got this problem that's going on in the church, okay? You got this problem that's going on in the church. And when he says, likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans and the teaching of Balaam, same group, just a different way to say the same thing. Mainly, you got problems. You got serious problems, See, it's not that some of these believers, and and remember, this is a small church, so everybody can see the elephant. It's right there in the living room, but it's just being ignored. And, And see, they weren't rejecting Christ outright, but they were trying to mingle Christianity with contemporary culture. You know, we gotta reach, we gotta reach these Pergamites where they are, and so let's go where they are, and let's kinda, you know, try to get them. And because after all, the Apostle Paul says, you know, I become all things to all men by all possible means to save some. And 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 you know, hey, listen, yeah, Paul did say that, but he didn't sleep with the prostitute in order to witness to her. No, no, no. And 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 you know, they, were, they loved to sing about the Jewish Messiah, but they weren't really that excited about Jewish morality. And they were becoming corrupted because they were compromising. And this was happening internally. And Jesus says, we got a problem here. We got a problem here. Someone once said, when you don't know what harbor you seek, When you don't know what harbor you seek, any wind is the right direction. And, you know, think about what's going on at Pergamum here. You've got this Acropolis. You've got all of these temples. And you've, what what is it? It becomes a consumer shopping center for whatever it is you want. You want power? Go to Zeus. You want pleasure? Go to Dionysus. You want health? Go to Asclepius. You, You make the call. But if you're the one making the call, then who's really in charge? You see what that's saying? 
We here today, you know, you just got to follow your own heart. And you got to, you know, who are we to judge what's true for other people and this and that. And so, you know, you just got to follow your heart. And people ought to be able to have the right to follow their own heart. And that may sound so, so tolerant, but listen, there's a logical problem with that. Because pedophiles and rapists and serial killers have been following their hearts for centuries. And when you, when, you, when you abandon objective truth that exists outside the knower and the knower's consciousness, then why should I pay attention to what someone else has to say? See? Why should I, why should I pursue education if, 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 if all I care about is my truth? Why, why, why do I have to improve upon that? But if there is such thing as objective truth, then that's what makes education worthwhile. That's what makes research worth it, see, because we can discover it and, yes, even debate it. I don't mean mean-spiritedly, but I mean in a spirited quest for truth, the truth. Someone once said, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. That's a good word, isn't it? It's a good word. So Jesus says, repent. Repent question who's he talking to who's he talking to look in that passage of scripture who's he talking to is he talking to the Balaamites no he's talking to the faithful majority you guys are letting this go on you guys aren't saying anything you guys are not willing to confront this and if you listen if you Christianity is nerve-intensive, and if you lose your nerve, you're going to lose the church. So you better speak up. Someone wrote a book called um, Confronting Intimidation, and the best quote in the book is this. You walk in your God-given authority, or someone will take it and use it against you. You walk, if you don't walk in your God-given authority, someone will take it and use it against you. I mean, does that not apply to parenting or what? I'm not talking about a, being abusive of our children, but I'm saying God, parents, has given you authority to direct their lives. And if you do not walk in that authority, your kids will take that and they'll use it against you. Any school principal knows that. Any school principal knows that if that principal does not walk in their God-given authority, the teachers will walk all over that principal. <laughs> oh, yeah, it happens at home. It happens in school. You're leading a company. You don't walk in your God-given authority. Those you lead will use it against you. And, yeah, it happens in church, too. And so Jesus is saying to the leaders, you better wake up. You've lost your nerve. Christianity is a nerve-intensive faith, and if you lose your nerve, you're going to lose the church. Some of you know right now of people in your life that you need to sit down, and you need to have a one-on-one with, and you need to look them in the eye, and you need to love them, and you need to tell them the truth, but you've been putting that off. Why? Why? You see, you see Pergamum had the exact opposite as the church at Ephesus. See, Ephesus, they knew how to fight, but they'd forgotten how to love. Pergamum, well, they know how to love, but they'd forgotten how to fight. 
and we need the best of both. And Jesus said, if you don't, if you don't, I will come soon to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. How did Balaam die? Remember how Balaam died? Joshua 13, says that the Israelites had put to the sword Balaam, son of Beor, who practiced divination. Jesus says, you take care of business because that's your job. If you don't take care of business, I'm gonna take care of business. And it'll affect them for all eternity, you see. Yeah. You see, you, you, the thing that you're avoiding in terms of confronting the truth with someone that you love, the Holy Spirit may use that chaos to bring them back to Jesus. If you will just say something, say something. Say something. And Jesus concludes this passage in verse 17. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. Let's unpack that for a minute. Hidden manna. You know the manna, the Old Testament says, fell like snow, like flakes, and the Israelites gathered them up. It was food in the wilderness. And it says hidden manna. There was a Jewish tradition that said that before Solomon's temple was destroyed, they, they smuggled the Ark of the Covenant to a secret place in Mount Sinai. And as most of you know, in 1981, Indiana Jones discovered that site. And um, <laughs> the Ark is now in a CIA warehouse. But the Ark had in it a pot of manna, which fell from heaven. And when Messiah came, the pot would be opened and the manna would feed God's chosen people. That's why it's called hidden manna. It's called hidden because it's not for everybody. The word hidden means not for everybody. It's just for God's people, just for the overcomers. And it's food from heaven in contrast from the pagan food of Pergamum. So that's what that's about. And so the overcomers will receive hidden manna and they will also get a white stone with a new name written on it known only to him who receives it. White stone. At Pergamum, they're in the gymnasium. At Pergamum, the victorious gladiators were given a white stone with their name inscribed on it and that white stone was their admission ticket to the banquet feast of victors. And that's what that's about. And a name on, known only to him who receives it means it's going to be your name and your name alone. Huh? There's not going to be two Randys or two Bobs or two Jims or two Johns in heaven. Everybody gets a name. And you're going to be named by Jesus himself. For those who overcome, for those who stay true by staying in a community of truth, there it is. Stay true. By, by staying in a community of truth. Isaiah 62, 2. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. Church family, stay true by staying focused on Jesus, who is our vision. Lord, thank you so much that you hold the sword. You have all authority. 
So much of what we were in this, so much of what we see in this world tells us otherwise. But Lord, you tell us not to focus on what we can see, but what we don't see. So open the eyes of our heart so that we may see the vision of the glorified Christ who not only holds the sword, but holds us. Amen.